0: Good morning. I'm looking forward to this. Are you looking forward to this? Okay, good. That's great. That's great. So you may, you may not have been here the last couple of weeks. Let me tell you what we're doing. I'm doing a sermon series called Thin Places. A thin place is the idea that there are some moments and experiences and places in life where the distance between us and God becomes very thin and God becomes very 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 real in that moment. And so what we've been doing is we've been looking at different places where Jesus experienced the presence of God and where we're able to see Jesus for who he is. And so we have been to the River Jordan. We've been to the desert where he was tempted. Now today we're going to go with him on the Sea of Galilee where Jesus walks on the water. This is the scripture for this morning. Matthew 14 verses 22 through 32. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat battered by the waves was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Now let me just pause right here for this moment and say to you that that may be the main reason you came today. It may be that you are in the middle of something and you can't see the way out. It may be that right now your life feels storm-tossed and you feel beaten by the waves, it may be that you're experiencing a dark night of your soul, and maybe what you just needed to hear this morning from me is what it says right here, is that Jesus is in the middle of all of it, and maybe you just needed to hear this morning, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid, anybody here need to hear that this morning, yeah, so Peter answered him, Lord, it is you, if it is you, come to command me to come to you on the waves, on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened, and beginning to seek, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You have little faith, why did you doubt? When they got in the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. This is the reading of God's Word, and God's people did say. So I've been thinking this week about a moment in my life, and I know you have one too, when you were asked to do something that was really scary for you. God prompted you, said... I want you to do something new. And it was scary. Well, I immediately thought of an experience when I was in, a student at TCU. Uh, it was my senior year, and my college professor um, was also my pastor. He was taught at the school, but he's also a pastor of the church. And uh, he asked me to preach on College Sunday. Now, when he asked me, I just said, sure, I'll do it. Great, fantastic. Sign me up. I'll do it. But immediately, I started to regret it. For whatever reason, I'm not really sure. uh, While I was at TCU, I developed this intense fear of public speaking. Now, that's problematic if you're going to be a minister and you're scared of public speaking. But it's true. Anytime I had to stand in front of people, my palms got really, really sweaty. And I got lightheaded. And I thought I might just actually pass out. I mean, that might draw a crowd. Go see the guy pass out on College Sunday, you know? <laughs> and then the week before I was supposed to preach the sermon, I began to have anxiety dreams. You know, I still actually have those. I had one last night. Every, every so often before I preach, I still get nervous and have dreams like I can't find my notes or I got to church late and, you know, or people, nobody showed up but me, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> But I began to have these anxiety dreams. Like, what if if I look stupid? I mean, all my friends are going to be there. My faculty members at TCU are going to be there. My parents are going to be there. What if I look stupid? What if I fall on my face? What if I can't find my notes? What if I show up and I'm not wearing pants? (laughs) And so I I, I became just really overwhelmed by fear. And so I picked up my phone to call uh, my minister to back out. My college roommate grabbed the phone out of my hand and slammed it down and he said you're going to preach you're supposed to preach that's what God wants you to do with your life and so you just need to do it and then he said something I will never forget he said if you say no now and you back out you may never say yes and you may never do what God wants you to do. Well, I didn't make the phone call. I did preach the first sermon, and people were relatively polite and complimentary. My uh, New Testament professor approached me afterwards and said, now that was interesting. (laughs) But the reality is I was able to do it. I was able to stand. I didn't pass out, and it was scary. And I learned something really, very special there that when you step out and you um, do something courageous and something that's fearful for you and God's calling you to do it, God will be with you and that becomes a thin moment, thin place. One of the thin places that God becomes very real to us is when we take a risk. When we hear a call from God to do something with our life and we step out in fear and we do something and then we have to trust and do the best we can. That's a moment when God becomes very near and very close to us. And it illustrates a truth that I have believed for a long time, that the decision to grow, it always, the decision to grow always involves a choice between risk and comfort. There is no growth without risk. And if your primary desire is to be comfortable and complacent in your life, you'll never become the person that you can become with your life. And the truth is that if you open your eyes up to who God is, what God wants for you, and if God ever approaches you, if you let me just say, if you ever get close to Jesus and you hear from him, he's always going to stretch you. He's always going to make things complicated for you. He's always going to cause you and call you to step out and do something that's scary. Now, I've noted from reading the Old and New Testament that God generally works in a few ways. This is almost always true of any story you'll read in in the Old or New Testament when somebody ordinary like you or me does something extraordinary. The first thing is there's a call. God calls an ordinary person to do an extraordinary thing. Noah, build a boat. Moses, go back to Egypt. David, kill a giant. Mary give birth to the son of God. There's always a call. But associated with that call, there is always fear. Noah says, "Well, it's not even raining." Not even raining. Moses says, "I'm a terrible speaker." David said, "I'm just a little boy. I can't even hold a sword." Mary said, "I'm a teenager." But what set them apart from the others, that they ended up did say yes. I've often wondered, I wonder how many people said no before David said yes. How many said no before Noah said yes? God's not looking for special people. He's just looking for people who say yes. So there's always fear and there's always a promise. When God asks someone to do something great, he always says, I'll be with you. My promise is that I'll give you what you need. You will have what you need. I will be there for you. I will stand by you. Take courage. It is I. I'm with you. The other thing you learn is there's always a call. There's always fear. There's always a promise. But there's always a decision that has to be made. When God shows up, you have to decide, am I going to say yes or am I going to say no? And so the people who are in the story, they either say yes or they say no to God And that always leads to some sort of big change in a person's life. Life change. Those who say yes experience life in new and profound ways. New doors are opened. New horizons are seen. Light comes in darkness. They imagine a world that's different and God's able to use them. And they go on these great adventures and those who say no their life changes too. It becomes harder and harder to say yes every time you say no. If you keep saying no to all the opportunities before you eventually your life is going to shrink and get smaller, smaller, smaller and smaller. We are meant to grow. We are meant to say yes. And in every person's life there are these moments, special moments, moments of transition, moments that look like scary moments and moments that will lead to our future. And we look back sometimes and we see them and it it frightens us. What if we had said no? Or what if we did say no and now we're filled with tremendous amounts of regret because of all the things that we missed because we did? Do you know what I believe today? I believe that all over this room, there are people, and your heart is stirring, that you sense there's something more, that God has something in mind for you. You may not be able to see it, but you sense that He's calling you to do something new, to some new place in your life, some transition. Now, now the, the primary example, again, is our Person, Peter. And I love I love Peter and his story because Peter was bold, he was courageous. He was always in the story and the gospel, always the first one to get out of the boat. He was the first one that got out of the boat on the Sea of Galilee when Jesus said, Come follow me. And he left his family behind, he left his business behind and went and followed Jesus. He was the first one at Caesarea Philippi when Jesus said, Hey, what are they saying about me on Twitter right now? What are they saying about me on Facebook? Well, they saying about me on Instagram. Who do they say that I am? And the disciples gave a bunch of different answers. But Peter was the first person to put it all together and say, you're the Christ, the Son of God. The first one to declare it. Then you read the Gospel of John, you see that Peter and John on Easter Sunday got into a foot race. And John and Peter raced to the tomb to get there first. John beats him. John was a little quicker than Peter. But when they get to the tomb, John doesn't walk in, he just looks in. But Peter was the first one to walk in to see what was there. And then on the day of Pentecost, what happens? There's this magnificent crowd gathered and Peter leaves the fear behind and steps out into the crowd. The sea of people preaches the gospel and thousands of people accept Christ and are joined to the church that day. Now, the thing that's encouraging to me about Peter is we hear all these great victories, but we also hear he also had some pretty epic failures. As soon after confessing Jesus is the Christ, Peter hears Jesus say, I'm going to suffer and die. And Peter gets really upset, says, no way, that's not going to happen to you. And then Jesus calls him Satan. Now, would you like to have that on your resume? But Peter just keeps on going. Then in the Garden of Gethsemane, what happens? In the Garden of Gethsemane, the soldiers come to arrest Jesus. And he pulls out a sword and chops off an ear. And that's the funny thing about Jesus. Jesus is always having to clean up stuff after Peter. He was always making a mess. And so you look at this story and you see Peter get out of the boat and Peter starts to sink And you might say, well, Peter's a failure. He kept messing up all the time. No, the failure was not Peter. The failures were the 11 people who never got out of the boat, who never let go of the edge of the boat to get out on the water where Jesus was. That's where the failure was. And Peter presents to us a model of faith where we experience God. Peter shows us that if you want to eliminate risk, If you want to be comfortable, you'll never meet him because faith without risk is not faith. If you have to have risk eliminated before you have faith, you'll never have faith. And Peter is illustrating to us that the way that we grow as people is by risking and failing and risking and failing and risking and failing and risking and failing. So my New Testament professor says, Well, that was interesting. So I try again. I learned from it. And Peter learned what the other disciples could not learn by sitting in the, in the boat, that he could trust Jesus. Let me tell you something. If all you ever do is sit in the pew on Sunday morning, if all you ever do is read about Jesus in the bo- in a book, those are great things, things to be valued and honored. But if you never step out and do something where you actually have to require yourself to trust him. You'll never get to know him. Because that's the whole point of the story. The whole point of the story is where is Jesus? Jesus is not in the boat. Jesus is out in the water. And you ask yourself the question, what was Jesus doing around, walking around on the lake in the middle of the night in the middle of a storm? It's because... In the Bible, whenever Jesus shows up, he's always calling people to something. And it's a metaphor. The church the church is the boat and the sea is the world. And what he's doing, is he's calling people out of the boat and into the world to places of harm and difficulty and suffering to take risks, to step out, to trust him, to get out and to walk, to walk on the things that we're scared of. And the thing that Peter had that the others didn't have, he had this sense, this sense of that he knew that he needed to look for Jesus. You know, I'm like the other 11 disciples. When things are going to hell all around me, I tend to focus on the hell all around me. And I'm not looking for God in the middle of it. And I just want to hold on and grip tight. But not Peter. Peter knew that when the storm shows up and hell is breaking loose, that's the time to look for him. Because that's the moment that he shows up. Remember Mary at the tomb? She's crying because he's been killed. And he reaches out to her and says, Mary, in her moment of deepest sorrow. She didn't see him. and Peter knows that in the world, when we're being beaten down and we're being hurt and we've stepped down and we're taking risks, that's the moment when he's there, and that's the moment to look when he's calling us. When he's calling us. I'm not saying that he causes the storms in your life. but what can I learn from this storm? What can I learn from this moment? what is God calling me to do and we learn this from Peter friends you'll never ever walk on water if you don't get out of the boat I'm reading a biography right now about Abraham Lincoln it's like the longest book I've ever read I started out with great ambition to finish it quickly not gonna happen next year I'll still be reading it but but I tell you Abraham Lincoln is so inspirational to me. You talk about someone who was asked to serve during a difficult time and to do something incredibly difficult. We think the world is in turmoil right now. In three days, 50,000 people would die. And they were it was Americans killing Americans. Almost everybody in the Civil War went home missing limbs. There was a Civil War battle near our church our church was right down the street and our church our actual old church building became an infirmary for for union soldiers and a hospital actually surgeries were performed in our old building but Lincoln was called to be president during this difficult time to hold the union together and the only thing that kept him focused on doing his job was he had this high ideal this courage to live out this dream of keeping the union a union It eventually morphed into freeing the slaves. But the reality is everywhere he went everyone hated him. The conservatives thought he was too liberal. The liberals thought he was too conservative. The moderates didn't like his wife. In fact nobody liked Mary Lincoln. And while they were in the White House their son died. Trauma all around them. He went through periods of Great Depression and at some point Some of the people who were around him were worried he might even take his life. And he even said at one point that I'm going to do this even if it kills me doing it. In the middle of all that, we realize that if you're going to step out and do something bold in the world, sometimes you're going to be the only one that will do it. Courage, courage never waits for consensus to do something courageous let me say that one again courage never waits for consensus to do something courageous and I'm so touched by when, uh, when when the Richmond was freed from the Confederacy and Lincoln went to Richmond Virginia and walked through the streets of that bombed-out city do you know who, were, who was there to show him? Appre- he was never really fully appreciated for who he was when he went into Richmond Who was it that was there that celebrated him and loved him? It were people who were not even considered people or human beings at that time. But freed people. Men and women who had been slaves. Six days after Robert E. Lee surrendered at Appomattox, the Confederacy and the war was over, Abraham Lincoln was murdered by John uh, you know, John Wilkes Booth, he lost his life, never knowing that he is perhaps one of the greatest Americans to ever serve. Why? Because he lived by a vision, he lived courageously. He stepped out and did what others were scared to do at great personal cost. Well, let, me, let me say one more thing. You know, um, the greatest generation, the greatest generation, handed the boomers the keys to the car and we've drove the daggum thing into the ditch. And I want to tell you that we, we baby boomers, we're just so convinced that we have the answer to what's going on. I don't think so. We're handing, our, we're handing Chloe and Carter and Michael a very messed up world in lots of ways. And, and we can't get anybody to agree on anything. And if you look at the Bible, in the Bible, who is it oftentimes is the one that begins a new thing? It's, it's, sometimes it's older people, but it's usually students young people teenagers Jeremiah was a teenager Isaiah was a teenager David was just a kid and I think that what we need to realize is instead of trying to force our kids into a box to be like us we need to let them be who they are and we need to let them challenge our political views our ideological views our world views what we think about anything from marriage to race and anything and we need to, we need to, I'm, I'm so tired of hearing people bad mouth teenagers, because I'm going to tell you something, we as adults, we don't have the answers. And we got to trust that God is going to call a generation to do something really cool. And so if our teenagers were to walk out of Eastern High School, would we support them? Would we encourage them? doesn't matter if we agree with them, because friends, what we're doing isn't really working right now. I'm not proposing any answer to anything. I'm just saying I believe that God is at work in our world and that God's going to call teenagers out of the boat and children to do something. And maybe we shall, as it says in Isaiah, when it talks about peace, and he says, and a little child shall what? Lead them. Amen. Amen?